I'm Elizabeth Fay, and I am a huge Schedulicity fan, enthusiast, um, promoter. So what Schedulicity can really do for your business and what it can do for your life um, is so amazing. So it's a modern tool that's going to help you systemize all the procedures in your business. And they're probably some of them are ones you didn't even know you have or you should have. It's going to systemize them. It's going to make everything streamline and do it for you while you sleep. And this is the way that you can make more money and have more quality of life. So everything from upping your rebooking rates to taking deposits, helping you enforce your no-show and cancellation policies, all the way to your email marketing, and even the way you get tipped and process payments. It's like having a front desk, an assistant, and a virtual assistant all in one in your pocket for such an affordable price. So if you haven't already gotten... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone. My name is Jerry Natuno, CEO and founder of Schedulicity, and we're proud to bring you this amazing podcast. What's up, man? What's up, brother? How you doing today? I'm doing awesome, man. How you doing? You know what? I'm doing great. I, I've been excited uh, ever since uh, you told me about this uh, conversation we're going to have today. Yep. And uh, I'm truly, uh, you know, I definitely have my notepad. So I'm going to take notes yeah. while we uh, interview, get, into <laughs> get into this interview. Absolutely. Yeah. Because uh, it's something I think that this, this, this interview that every listener uh, should have a pen and paper for. I agree with you, and um, I mean, I'm going to open it up. I mean, we're talking to uh, Tabitha Coffee, Michael Cole, and Gordon Miller today. I mean, you know, we're talking to like the kings and queen of uh, of our of our industry, and you know, all of them have kind of been talking about money for years and years and years. But today, things are different. Today, things are different because I think COVID changed. First off, what COVID did is is if you had any BS about your finances, like you know, COVID exposed that. You know, so one, um, COVID exposed that, and two, um, and two, it's just it's it's a more important conversation now than ever before. Um, oh, absolutely, because growing up, I mean, you, you've always told you know, save for a rainy day, make sure you have you know, thirty days of of, of savings, you mm-hmm. know, to, or ninety days or whatever that number was to. Make sure you can cover all your expenses, and uh, COVID kind of just knocked that out the water. Well, yeah, I mean, I want to get into it in the conversation, so remind me a little bit later. But I mean, uh, a rainy day—we're well past a rainy day, right? Like our rainy day has now become a rainy season, and 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 it looks, looking forward, it kind of looks like you know we're going to have a rainy year. 
you know, in that sense, if, if we're staying on the same analogy, but I definitely want to bring that up later in the conversation, but um, I, w- I definitely want to bring them in. So again, today's podcast is going to be money matters and it matters in a different way. You know, it matters to you. There are issues with, with money. Um, and, and these three people are going to break down kind of what those issues have been and then how we can kind of recover or, or, or what we need to take serious moving forward. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to show you kind of like how to take charge of your life with it. Right. They're going to, uh, you know, hopefully get into a discussion where it can, all of us can grab something out of this to really benefit and help us uh, survive this thing and uh, prosper in the future. You think they're done listening to us? Yeah. Let's bring them in, I shall would we? Be. <laughs> <laughs> I would be too. <laughs> so, so, Michael and Gordon, welcome. To, well, Hi, welcome you guys. Welcome to all of you guys. What's up? Hey. hey. Thank you. Yeah. We love you guys so much. We're such huge fans of and, and obviously, you guys uh, have put together something that is going to uh, grab everybody's attention, and the, you know the little ears are going to perk up because I don't think I know a, a, an individual that's not uh, this is not affecting. Yeah, money matters, right? Right, <laughs> money matters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a, uh, sorry, yeah, I was. I was say, so- go ahead, tap. I want to give you the platform first to start this off, and uh, we're. I got my pen and paper and but let's do it. You guys do you. Well, I just wanted to say, you know, to your guys' point, it it's not just a storm anymore, it's a tsunami. Yeah. And that's not being doom and gloom, that's just being honest and being realistic about it. And I think when we talk about money, we've done such a great job in our industry of teaching people how to be better in their techniques and how to service their clients better and have great consultations and all the things that we're really good at and we're really known for. But we haven't focused enough on personal finance and making sure that as individuals and business owners, we're really set up for success and taking care of ourselves. And that's something that I'm really passionate about, as I know Michael and Gordon are, of changing that spotlight. And let's get personal. Let's talk about the thing that makes everyone uncomfortable, which is money, without any judgment, without any feeling like, oh, my God, I've totally messed up and I need to do this better. Let's just move forward with a different mindset and do what we need to do to make sure that we thrive, not just survive. I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, what, what, uh, first of all, thanks for having us. And I'm already, you got me already stoked up with your opening statement, uh, Corey, if you had any BS around money, COVID has exposed it. Right. And uh, my AKA for BS is secrets. <laughs> I'm as sick as the secrets I keep uh, or facades. And, uh, uh, you know, we, while we've been talking about it for years before COVID and I love Tabitha's uh, metaphor, tsunami. Yeah. Uh, on steroids, it's exposed all of it and including you know, my my own personal, I, I, I would have said before COVID, you know, I don't, I think I'm pretty clean. I'm, I'm good to go. And it was very humbling. You know, that old adage, be humble or be humbled. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I was one of many that for the first time in a long time, I had to stop, take pause and take a look at this part of my life that before COVID, frankly, 
I took it for granted. It's like, it's, it's only too expensive if you can't afford it. And because it felt like I could afford it, I never thought about it. And all of a sudden now, you know, every dollar has a name. Um, and I'm, I find myself revisiting principles that uh, I've been teaching and living, but not like this for many moons. So it's good to be with you. And I want to very go ahead, Gordon. Yeah, let me just add that you know, big picture, you know, something that struck me early on in a conversation with a, a brand leader. They asked the question, you know, if anything could have been different, you know, pre-COVID that would have made a huge difference in this industry. What what what's your take on it? What what would it be? And I, I didn't even hesitate. It was so it just came so naturally. I think because I've known it's been a, a long time problem, but it just became so apparent. And that is, if hairdressers have been better with their money when it got out of the salon into their pocket. If hairdressers had been focused on savings, because the people I know in the industry who are really focused on that, who forever save money, who have forever managed their finances, and they're in the minority of Americans, they're getting through this way better than those who have not. And, you know, that was just such a big aha. And then in my more private conversation with Michael and Tabitha, we all were talking about the same thing. So there was this like, let's, let's kind of do a, our version of the, as Michael says, the three amigos and see if we can do a little bit of good in the world. <laughs> I love that. Now we just need a picture of you three on a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Not happening. <laughs> yeah. Don't hold your breath on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Not happening. I'm assuming that you all talk kind of privately and then, uh, you know, little light bulb gone off. So I, I guess it, this is probably the perfect time to have this conversation, but, but how do we get started? Where does this conversation start? Uh, so I'll jump in. I think it goes to Michael's point. It, it's about getting really honest and transparent, and that doesn't need to be honest with other people. It's honest with yourself. I think one of the biggest takeaways that I've had speaking to people through COVID is I will put three buckets out there, right? And hopefully everyone will relate to one of those buckets. I've spoken to people that are essentially living paycheck to paycheck, have no savings and are petrified and rightly so because they don't know where their next meal is coming from, how they're going to pay their rent and how they're going to survive. The next bucket are people that have had savings so they've got some kind of backup plan. I call it a swimming pool fund because you never know when you're going to need to take a dip. So they've got a, they've got a cushion. They've got some money put away that they're still scared, but they're not as scared as bucket one because they know they've got some backup plan. And then the third bucket are people that are relying on other people. So the younger people in the industry that are living at home with their families, they're people that are in a two spouse income where one of their spouses has been able to work through, or they've had some savings from that. So again, there's essentially a cushion and they're worried about their business and their livelihood, but not to the same extent. And that's, in my experience has been kind of the three buckets of the people I've been talking to. And I think we need to get really clear. It isn't how much money you make. It's how much money you spend. Where are you spending it? How are you spending it? Why are you spending it? 
that we need to start looking at and start changing our mindset first of all and then take there are some really easy tangible steps that we'll give you through this that you can start implementing i love that like debt relief you know right so i mean she was saying like you know tabitha was saying like paycheck you know those that are living paycheck to paycheck you know they're like the desperate ones right (laughs) they're like what what does tomorrow hold you know those people that have a little bit of savings you know there's a little bit more room in there and then, um, you know, as far as like stress goes, and then, you know, there's those that are you know, young people, either, like she said, living with their parents or, um, you know, with a spouse that, that, that can kind of carry a little bit. Um, I mean, all three of those have their own stresses, you know, but it's just like with the degree of, uh, of the stresses. Yeah, it's just how soon, right? So it's kind of like, you know, that's what I mean? it, it's a timeline, oh, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> paycheck, paycheck seems like it's a quicker timeline. That's it. Hey, Michael, so, you know, you became famous, you became popular, you became everything about how we make money. Mm. But now that conversation has kind of moved on to how are we saving money or not, not even saving, but, but I think the next, the next evolution of that conversation is like Tabitha said, like what kind of debt release is there? And then, and then how do we save money? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I, to to Tabitha's point, for ye- forever it was how do we, you know, raise income, give yourself a raise, you know, find more fuel. And now that we're in this age called digital, the, the answers have never been as juicy. You know, I, I'm I'm watching, you know, somebody enter the business of uh, in their first year and getting to places and in income. You know, just this side of six figures a year in a, you know, a 12, 18, two year period that you, you know, first of all, most people wouldn't get there. And those that did, it took, you know, five, 10 years. So to, to Tabitha's point, it, it really is about, I would call it, it's not what I make, it's what I keep. And what I'm keeping is in proportion to what I'm spending. If I, because I've not been involved in this conversation or have not taken it to heart, um, my spending has not only grown with income over the years, but frankly grown faster. And I've subsidized that difference with uh, credit cards. And, you know, here we, and I've been, and I've been able to make it all work because, you know, just staying in the flow and all of a sudden, you know, we get introduced to something called COVID and it becomes in a hurry. Whoa, I don't have the fuel because if I do spend less than I make, I'm going to have money left over to, as your point, Corey, begin to chip away at debt and or start, you know, whether we want to call it saving for the next dip or a rainy day or long term, it doesn't matter. Until we look at spending, uh, it's really, really difficult to talk about what can you do with your money that will make a difference. So spend, spend the holism is the, you know, the, the, the conversation of the day. And prior to COVID, uh, frankly, at, you know, at any time we were depressed, I, I'm going to spend, even if I got to spend money I don't have, go out in retrospect, buying a whole bunch of stuff I don't need. And in retrospect, to impress people I don't even like, right? <laughs> because I'm, I'm bored, I'm depressed, I'm whatever. And nothing makes me feel better quicker than spending a ton of money. Hmm. Let me throw I, something know, in. Can I throw in yeah. a thought here? I want to yeah, go, go back. I want to go back to your tsunami. You know, I I, I think when I, when I think about everything that Michael and Tabitha have been talking about for years and growing careers and growing businesses and and being professional, 
there's been so much good stuff the industry's put out, and yet we, we for so long have struggled with so many who've not implemented those practices, even though they're proven and have not had the careers they like to have. And, you know, it's big, been a big frustration. Now we get to this, and all of a sudden, this, I, I'm going to call it a new idea of personal finance is staring us in the face. And I think the big lesson learned is that it reminds me of when, when all of a sudden they told us that smoking was bad for us, because I'm that old. I remember when my whole family, they were all smokers. <laughs> and smoking was cool. Smoking was okay. I remember my mom and her sister like sitting in the backyard, just like, just looking cool. You know? <laughs> and then all of a sudden we learned that it can kill us. And there was this giant aha moment where people started to make decisions to make this huge change in their lives. I feel like we're kind of in one of those moments like where it's like, wait, savings for the first time really is like staring us in the face. I read an interview with a, a very famous hairdresser in WWD recently, and he said when the tsunami hit, this is somebody who makes a lot of money. So when, the, when the tsunami hit, it's like, I only had 2,500 bucks to my life, and this is a person who lives a big life, so that's not much money. The, the press tells us that almost half of Americans can't put their hands on 400 bucks. Mm. I would say our industry, we probably exceed that number. We probably have people who have bigger problems. So I just wanted to come back and kind of restate where we are in reinforcing what Michael and Tabitha are saying and kind of present it as maybe the big why, you know, that we need to have this moment where we really have these conversations with ourselves and others about how are we going to change ourselves going forward. Well, I mean, Gordon, I'll, I'll throw it back to you. I mean, you, how has it changed you? I mean, I mean, what, what, have you had these struggles in the past? And, and, and what commitments have you made to kind of, you know, to, to, to get your savings game on point? Well, the, it's so fascinating. The three of us, live, you'll hear from everybody. I think this would be great for everybody to share. Um, I grew up with very little. You know, I was born into public housing projects. Uh, my, my family didn't have much. And, and my, my dad, over time, with what little he put together over time, uh, acquired a problem with gambling. So I, I grew up, I, I would say poor. Um, um, and I, my dad was a happy, my family was a happy family of poor people. We didn't quite know we were poor. Dad wouldn't let us know, but we were. And I took on those habits. And it wasn't until I was 38 years old that I woke up one day and said, I'm way in debt. I've got all this credit card money. I don't save anything. I, I, I'm enjoying life, but wait a minute, I'm going to be old soon. And that was my turning point of looking for help, looking for counseling, looking, you know, doing my own research. And I began getting serious about, you know, saving for retirement, having that rainy day fund, all the things, you know, that, that are just the foundational elements. And as I think Michael and Tabitha have both said, it's not hard. You just have to get started. So I did. Um, I'll, I'll let the others share their stories. So on to Gordon's point, um, 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. So if you just look at that number as a country, you can imagine how many of those people are within our industry, right? So that's why I'm so passionate about this. Um, one of the first things I did during COVID was to actually become a certified financial coach Bravo! because I wanted to help people within our industry and do it in the right way with knowledge, not just Tabithaisms. I wanted real true training. So that was one of the first things I did um, so that I could be helpful. And personally, 
look, I know everyone out there goes, oh, but you're Tabitha off TV and you make, you know, you're living the high life and driving a Porsche. And no, I drive a 12 year old Toyota Corolla. Yes. 12 years old. Yes. (laughs) Um, The reason I drive it is because I don't really care about cars. And although people do judge me on the car I drive and I've gotten out of my car and people have actually given me the look and said, you drive that. Yes, because it's paid for. So, yes, I do drive that. Um, I have, I grew up actually with a lot of money. So I was the opposite of Gordon. I grew up with a lot of money and it was never an issue for me until my father disappeared when I was 10 years old and took every penny and left my mother and I destitute with nothing. And I saw my mother bust her behind and work five, six, seven jobs to try and make money um, to be able to feed us and keep a roof over our heads and take care of us. And I have learned, as with Gordon and I'm sure Michael, through age, money was something that came and went. So it would come in and I would buy just fabulous clothes and wear it back out. And I would buy champagne and spend it at nightclubs and get limousines and do all the crazy things because I was living a lifestyle, Mm -hmm. not living a life. Mm -hmm. And it honestly wasn't until I got much older that I realized, A, I am getting older. B, there is no one to take care of me. And all of this crap doesn't it doesn't serve me it's not growing my life it's not helping me so I have a list of where I spend my money that gives me a return on that investment and I don't mean in the stock market I mean if I buy something what is it giving back to me is it really good quality that I can wear it for a really long time is it something I'm going to learn from that's going to expand my horizons? Does it make me feel comfortable and safe? Um, And COVID's made me double down on that. I started paying cash for everything because one of the things I realized is that we don't have an emotional connection to money anymore. Everything's plastic, right? It comes in, it goes out, it comes in, it goes out, and we're not connecting with it. And I needed to really take a hard look at what was happening um, in not getting any finances in and, and taking care of everything. So I started connecting to cash again. And there's something amazing. When you pay cash for something, even as simple as a $7 cup of coffee at Starbucks, and you have to hand that money over, there's that little hesitation of, oof, that hurt. Do I really want it? With plastic, there's no pain point. Mm, that's a great, well, two things about that. One is that, I had an aha moment where Tara said she was living a lifestyle and not living a life. I mean, that was just like this in my head. Right. And, and I love the pain point thing because um, I mean, again, you know, being hairdressers have cash. Right. And, and, and she's so right though. Like, like when you're, well, the pain point on plastic comes almost to the point when it's too late. Yeah. That's the risk of it. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and when, when you do feel that pain, it, it tends to be too late. Because now you're in serious debt. Now you're not only does it is going to hit your pocket, but you know it's going to hit your credit. It's going to, I mean, it's going to hit you uh, 
ten times harder than than if if you stuck with catch. Like I, I want to tell a quick story. Um, like I I grew up a lot a, a, a lot like you, Gordon. You know what I mean? And and you guys, you know, very poor. And I didn't have the fi- financially uh, <laughs> educate the financial education that I should have had going through. So I went through all these hardships. But my daughter, uh, about three years ago, she just got married, and um, so my gift to them, I I sent them down. I said, look, when you guys, because they both just graduated college, they both had a little bit of a college debt, and they were thinking about getting married and and buying a house. I said, look, come live with me for a year, your first year, and it, you guys are going to have good jobs, but put every penny toward your debt. Get rid of that student loan, and that way you can save up and buy a house, and that way you'll be debt-free. That, that student loan is not going to take you 30 years. And um, I, I think uh, that my son-in-law put his pride away, and he took the offer. And June 30th, they did buy a house. Uh, they are completely debt-free, and they don't have that, that, that you know, burden of that student loan. So it's just what you guys are talking about is so relevant, and to me, it, it is so important that we do get this message out. And, um, you know, and that's why I was so excited to have this conversation because I seen it, I lived it as well. And uh, I see the difference that it makes when you do the, do things the right way out of my daughter. So, mm-hmm. but anyway. Well, you're a good dad. You're a good dad. And I lost my dad a couple of years ago. Again, he had his problems, but he was great. I am available for adoption, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. Come in with me any day, Gordon. <laughs> I got a spare room for you. Well, let, let me uh, weigh in on this because we're getting very real here. We're getting very transparent. I just love to win. Uh, you know, Tabitha says uh, a Toyota Corolla. So, you know, Tabitha... I was driving a Toyota RAV4, like you. I drive it in forever. I, my rule of thumb was always until the the cost of maintaining the car becomes higher than whatever, it makes sense. And my family kind of keeps an eye on that for me because it's like, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, honey or dad, you have to get rid of the tennis shoe. It's done, you know. And then, you know, and then so a couple of years ago, had a leveled up to a, a, a Toyota uh, RAV4, and uh, on the front end of COVID, I made the decision, I want to get rid of the car and have one less thing to have to maintain. So the, the car was paid off, but okay, I did the math on insurance, and I did the math on gas, and did the math on all the other stuff. And when I say did the math, just did a swag, a scientific wild-ass guess, and every dollar had a name. And I said, you know, it's done. And like my compadres say, you know, I grew up like everybody on the call. Uh, I call it profoundly impoverished. So, you know, welfare and inner city and housing projects and surplus food. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And I, and I remember several times growing up asking whoever, my parents or whatever, can't we like get out of this neighborhood? I'm I'm tired of getting beat up or, you know, whatever it is when you're living in the, and they would go, well, no, we can't. Why not? We don't have enough money. It was always, we, we have, we can't do that because we have no money. And, you know, as I got out of the house, 
Um, I just decided, you know, like a lot of hairdressers, I'm not real clear about what I want to be, but I know what I don't want to be. I don't want to be without money, you know? And so wherever it is I go, and, and to me, money equaled, I have to be making a lot of money, which is different than watching the spending and, you know, watching the debt and this conversation. So I was on a, an okay roll. Uh, in terms of my income, that wasn't the problem. But I was spending more than I was making. And I was in my mid-20s. And you know the stories about, you know, somebody sitting me down and asking me those personal questions and basically saying, you know, sh- show me a uh, your, your, your newest goals with regard to saving money and paying off debt and all. And I, I, what are you talking about? I have no goals with regard to that. And his comment was, I, I, could, I bet I could guess your bank balance, either your check balance or your savings account within a few hundred dollars. And, and he did. And, and all of a sudden, I'm asking new questions. Like, you know, I didn't know that there was a difference between income and whatever you want to call it, security, wealth. And, you know, it, it changed the trajectory of my life in my 20s. And I just decided I wanted to spend the rest of my life uh, teaching it. Because I discovered it, to the degree you teach it, you can you, you learn to live it. And to the degree you can live it, it's easier to teach because it, you're not, you know, you're being authentic. So uh, that's my take on that. So if I can just pick up on Michael's point, which is really important. We have done, I'll put my hand in this, a great job with teaching the industry how to be busier and more productive behind the chair right? We've done a great job with teaching them how to deliver top quality, creative, precise techniques. We have done a shit job and I I will take responsibility. I'll put my hand up of teaching people how to financially secure themselves and be sustainable. And it's not because we don't care. I think it is because we've, we've not necessarily thought about it or it's an uncomfortable subject to talk about or we've assumed that someone's already told them or they know. And I think for me that is the awareness. As Michael was just saying, we need to be aware of what do we want right? It's great to get 20 more clients into the salon or to do five extra balayage in a week. But if you're not doing something with that money, mm-hmm. then it's not doing anything for your future. You're not that successful. And I don't mean that you're not successful, but true success comes from the sovereignty that solid finances give you. Right. And that, that sovereignty just allows you to upskill, right. Afford better education, take a break. If you're really exhausted Buy your kids, the fancy, whatever kids are into these days, help, help give your kids a college education. If they want it, um, pay off the credit card debt, go on a great vacation, right? That's what it does you when you look at the, the long term of it, not just the quick fix of impressing someone, 
buying the champagne, getting the limo, buying the dress, having the pair of shoes. And it's really differentiating between the need and the want. We're always going to want something. We're human. Do we need it? Mm. And, and how, this- how do we need it? How do we have that conversation, Tabitha? I mean, like, like, how do we make it as an industry that we want a future? You know, like, like, like I'll quote Daniel Mason Jones and Daniel Mason Jones says the one thing we don't have in this industry is retirement parties, right? So how do we make that want the, 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 the long-term future of it? How do we, how do we want that want to be retirement? You know, are we just too, too, too arrogant or too egocentric? Or just, we're we're just a now industry, right? Everything's now. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll take it bigger though. I, I won't say we, our industry alone. I mean, look at so many industries that are struggling. We're, as well, look, Gordon look says, this. we're a mirror of everything else that's happening, right? So it's yeah. not just us. We don't own the right, but we're a very cash um, driven industry. And by that, I mean, it's very transactional, right? You come in for a haircut or a color, you pay your money, you give me a tip, you go. And we're often just looking at it that way. It's cash for service, cash for service, not looking at putting it away, not looking at saving some of it, not looking at preparing for our taxes, not looking at keeping it for our growth of our business, our education, our life. But I mean, we, we have created this, right? Because when we go to shows, we want to we want to dress to impress, right? When we do all these events, we want to uh, keep up with the with the Tabitha coffees or the or whoever that you know that we look up to that you know dress to the tilt. You know what I mean? So we want to be that. We want to emulate that, and so we so we go out and we create it. And but you're right. It's this is a time to kind of shift that that thinking and really, like you said earlier, Tabitha, is this something that we really need right now? Or is this something you really need or is it just a a major one? Well, I think, I think that, I think that, and Gordon, I mean, I'll throw to you, Gordon, like, like, you know, what other industries do you kind of see that are doing it right? Not who who cares about who's doing it wrong, right? There's no, there's no sense in even pointing fingers, but, but Gordon, what industries out there are doing it right and are actually teaching, you know, long-term financial success? I, I don't know that I would peg it on an industry, you know, that an industry, uh-huh. different industries are doing it in different ways. And, and of course they are the more academic stuff or, you know, you want to pick the accounting industry, but I'll bet you there's plenty of poor people in the accounting industry as well. I mean, it really goes back to a mindset of, of that savings actually matters. You know, that we have this tendency to put like savings at the bottom of the list. We've got to get the fancy outfit for the show that's coming up and we've got to go across the country and spend all the money maybe that we don't have. I met Susie Orman years ago uh, for an event that, w- that happened in the beauty industry and, and walking, walking through the casino in Las Vegas to the meeting, Susie, we passed a bunch of hairdressers who said hi to me as we were going and then they dropped their jaw that I was with Susie Orman. And she said to me as we were walking towards the stage, she's like, you know what's wrong with your industry? She says, you wear, you wear your money and you drive your money. And she's like, and she's friends with a lot of hairdressers and she's always around hairdressers getting her ready. And, and she said, this is the problem the hairdressing industry does not prioritize personal finance. And that says it all in a nutshell. And again, it goes to mindset and prioritizing spending. If you think of spending, you think of savings as a different version of spending. 
Michael years ago, I remember so, I remember this so clearly and it's probably 25 years ago, Michael in front of a large group of people basically saying, you guys get a lot of cash and, and it's easy from cash to go from your pocket to somebody's cash register, somebody else's cash register. You need to take that money, put it in the bank. And then when you need cash, withdraw it. Back to Tabitha's idea of when you have cash, you have sensitivity. And I'll, I'll say lastly, I've said this for years, I've always gotten a paycheck, always. If I live the lives that you all did, which is about 25% of your personal income coming from tips when you do the math, if every week someone has slipped an envelope under my office door with cash, and that was 25% of my earnings, mm-hmm. I don't think I'd have anything. Uh, that cash would be gone because it's just, it's such a human thing. I'll pass the so, ball to Michael. <laughs> I was going to say, it's easier said than to tell me this, but how do I get actually get started with this? Or how do I learn more about it? How do I get started? Yeah, well, my, my take is, and I know that Tabitha has a piece of this as well. You know, forever ago, I called it the, the $5 a day baby step savings plan. You know, it's, you know, the essence of genius is simplicity. So if I can keep it simple, keep it safe, keep it, make it a little bit fun, I, there's a probability I might start it. So five a day, the, the first five a day in tips, put it away. And just for right now, put it in an envelope. And at the end of the week, do something with it. But just build that rhythm. And, you know, after that, we can start having conversations about where you're going to put it and how it's going to grow and all. But just to get started getting started and just for kicks and giggles, you know, calculate if I was if I did that persistently, consistently, perseveringly, which means I'm going to probably have to disobey my impulses. Every now and then I'm going to have an impulse to spend some money and go there to get it. But if you can just leave it alone. Discipline is nothing more than the willingness to disobey an impulse. And what would that, how could that make a difference in my life in a year and in two years, three years. And when you start looking at that, it's like, no way, no way. I did Gordon, you did the math the other day. We were having this conversation. What was it three grand or something to that effect? Your, your, your life got $3,000 better because you took away five bucks a day. For a year, and and you know, and then you you just fast. Now they got these cool little calculators that you can go on Google, and it figures it out and shows you a little graph and all kinds of. They gamify it, and it's like you know what, this is too. This is so simple it insults my intelligence, and yet I'm saying it's simple, but it's not easy, because the not easy part is once I start doing it to keep going. Once I start doing it, I need to. I need to protect myself from myself and put it somewhere that I can't get it because I probably, if I can get it, I will. I'll get amnesia. I'll become enslaved by an, I mean, who the heck knows? But that would be my take. And I know that Tabitha has a take on that as well. So we need to budget, right? And most people look at budgeting like a dirty word and it's restrictive. Budgeting is just planning your profit, just plan your profit. That's what your budget does. It doesn't, it's not to reprimand you or to judge you or to tell you you can't afford anything. It's just to plan your profit. And what I mean by that is when you sit down and actually look at what you owe, right? So look at your credit cards. How many people 
take the credit card and just throw it in the drawer or just look at what the minimum payment is that they're making without actually looking at what the balance is or what the interest rate is or anything else. Go through and look. What do I owe in credit card debt? What is my mortgage or whatever other money you owe out there? What does it cost me to live my life every month? Right? So it's the four walls and your four walls are making sure that you have your security, which is your house, making sure you have food, making sure that you have clothing, right? And protection and transportation. So what does it cost me to take care of my four walls every month? I'm going to put a caveat in here. Your four walls isn't Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, and every other subscription service that you have. They're wants, not needs. If you are really struggling financially, look at your four walls. Make sure that you are taken care of. You have your food, you have your shelter, you can afford your insurance on your car, you can afford your gas, do all of those things to get to work, right? And then look at what am I spending on the superfluous stuff that I don't need, which is my Amazon, Netflix, iTunes, all of those things. I'm not saying they're not great. What I'm saying is maybe you don't need them all right? Maybe all that money that you're paying out that could add up to $100, $200 a month on those additional things, that's $200 that could be going towards food or going towards your rent or going towards your credit card debt at this time. That's making a dent, right? I, for me, through COVID, I cancelled every subscription I had that I didn't need and I was gobsmacked how many I had and how many were automatically coming out of my bank account that I didn't even realize I was paying for because I wasn't paying attention. So that's the planning for profit part for me. Pay attention, get clarification, see where that money is going. And is that a true need? Is it necessary? Do I need it right now to protect myself, my family, or do my job and live my life the best way that I can? I love that. I love the four walls analogy as well. Yeah, that's so great. Sounds like another podcast, needs versus wants. (laughs) I'll be back. I have a list. (laughs) There's no doubt. There's no doubt. But, you know, four four walls, let me say too, because again, Back to, you know, we wear our money, we drive our money. We sometimes live in our money in ways that's inappropriate, you know, when we don't prioritize savings. I've met so many people who live beyond their means because the four walls are beyond their means. And so, again, I think we have to prioritize. Savings has to become important so that we don't make decisions on how we're going to save after we look at our bank account, after we paid for all those things that Tabitha is mentioning, and perhaps four walls that's beyond our, our means. That's amazing. I want to kind of kick it back to Michael because um, we have a couple of notes here, um, you know, that Gordon gave us before we got on. And, and there's a really, really interesting um, uh, conversation about, about credit card use and about how much it costs Mm. to spend a hundred dollars on your credit card. Michael, can we kick it to you? 
Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the conversations that the the three of us have been having is, you know, once I once I set a goal to raise my income, which is a no-brainer these days, I want to have a goal. How am I going to pay myself first? In other words, use that income to begin reducing debt, starting with credit cards, and then ultimately I want to save some money. But the the credit card thing is to just the, the implication, I, you know, somewhere there's a stat, I'm sure Tabitha would have this, where what percentage of, uh, of people have credit cards? What's the average credit card debt? Uh, what, what percentage of people are making minimum payments on credit cards? And what is the average interest rate? I mean, there's metrics out there. And then it's the implications. Okay, so if I'm making minimum payments on a credit card and that, that minimum payment is $100 a month or 50 or whatever it is, the overwhelming majority of that money that we're sending in is interest on the money that you're renting, if you will, or being loaned to you. Then you start looking at, so if that was my rhythm, how long is it going to take me to pay that off? And when I do, how much more money did I pay because I was renting the money? And you, you know, my, my, my first heads up is before you take a peek at that, you know, take a, take a shot of Maalox or vodka or a Prozac or something, because you, it's going to blow your mind. I, I, I work with people that, you know, it's, an, it's a $100 payment on a, a, a big debt and $98 of it is interest. And you go, all right, wait a minute now. You know, at 26, 27% interest, how long is it going to take? You don't want to know. It, it, it's going to, you know, you're, you're going to be up for, you know, four or five reincarnations. And it, it gets to the place where it's like, this is ridiculous. And yet you, now once we see that, we, we're shocked to our core, and all of a sudden the student is asking better questions, and that is, show me how to get this issue off out of my life, because not only do I not want to be doing this anymore, frankly, I'm in great need of redemption. Like, I, I didn't know what I didn't know, and now that you woke me up, it's like, whoa, talk about humbling. Help me to make up for lost time. Great, let's jack up your income and take big chunks of money, throw it at that so that you can pay off in a one-year period of time what would have taken you lifetimes had we not had this damn conversation. Michael, do you, um, there's so much talk about like, uh, like debt snowballing. Is that something that you subscribe to? Oh, yeah, I've sat down with enough, what do they call it, debt counselors now. They have like debt counselors where snowballing, you know, we can snowball interest on saving money and we can snowball interest in not paying attention to our debt where we can get to a place left unchecked. We can't even afford to make a minimum payment on our debt. And then we have to go, I call it, you know, financial reincarnation, which is bankruptcy, right? You're just like, stay down for the count and we're going to give you a fresh start. And by the way, I have to say this because I don't think most people are aware the bankruptcy laws changed a few years ago. There's no getting rid of debt anymore. All they do is change the timeline. So, you know, back to what Michael was saying, you, know, you, you talked about those stats. The average American's got over $6,000 in credit card debt, and they pay over $9,000 to get it to zero. So everything, if, if you spend 100 bucks, it costs you 150 you know, is the bottom line. And so the math is, 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 is insane, and there's no getting rid of it. You know, it, it's just... So there's so the best advice is don't get started. 
Don't get started. Right, Mike. I think you kind of you, you misunderstood what I was saying about about the snowball. So like 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 there's this there's a snowball theory about how to pay off oh, debt. Oh, yes, yes. About yes, how yes, to pay off yes. debt. So, so is that something that you subscribe to? Is that something that you coach people through, or yeah. or, or? You, you can you can watch it happen on whatever form you're using. Where you know I put a hundred extra dollars on this payment, which is and that goes away. Now I have a hundred dollars plus whatever I was making the payment on. 150 and I make that on the next one I want to get rid of and all of a sudden now I'm that that pay I'm I'm throwing 200 300 a month more at the next one and then after that it's it you just see it happening uh but again simple to understand not always easy to do because I have to disobey my habits you know I got first I got to watch my habits and frankly, my habits hate being watched. <laughs> so if I, if I can. First, you, I'm sorry. I was going to say, you don't want that first one that you paid off to be your last one. You know what I mean? You keep putting a, a, a one at the end. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you mean keep charging the same thing. You know, it, it's interesting that, that, that Michael, New, uh, Michael Brian Noonish said on our podcast, he said, when it was easier to spend money when I had no money, than when I had money. Once I had money, it made it made spending money much more difficult. That was Tabitha's point when she said it's much more painful to spend cash. Mm-hmm. That's it, man. And if I can jump on the snowball, so one of the easiest ways to get started, if you sit down and you look at all these credit cards, the easiest way to get your momentum is to start with the credit card that has the least amount of money on it. So if you have a credit card with, a thousand bucks and one with 15,000. Don't go for the big guy first. Keep doing your minimum payments if that's all you can do on the 15,000. Knock off the thousand dollar one first because it is easier to do. You will get more momentum. You will feel good that you've got that one off the list and off your plate. And then you can take those minimum payments that you are paying on the smaller credit card, which is $1,000, right, for hypothetical sake, and you can apply it to the larger one. So some people subscribe to going for the bigger um, balance that you have on the credit card first and working down. When you reverse that, it's much easier to build that momentum and to cut down the debt quicker than the reverse. I, I love it, man. And, and we are, like you were even mentioning, like we're, we're such a now kind of industry or it's not even industry, but we're such a now like people, right? That, 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 sh- that, that removing that out of your way kind of does give you that momentum to keep pushing forward. Yeah. I also, Discipline. sorry, I also think because we're now, right? So when you're exploring this, look at what you have automated. We go online and buy stuff. There is no, again, I'll go back to the emotional connection. There is no emotional connection. Our credit card is sitting in our phone. Our credit card sitting in our computer. We go on whatever it is, Amazon or iTunes or pick, pick your platform. And you don't even need to kind of type in your credit card and think about how much you're spending. You just press yes right? It's so easy. We're so used to pressing the button 
or swiping the phone or handing the plastic, we've lost the value of what money actually does and what money should be used for and why we should have money. But we've also lost our own personal value through that. We're not valuing ourselves enough. If we start valuing our own worth as people and creatives and really hardworking business owners and stylists behind the chair and valuing how hard we work, how much we invest in ourselves, in our education and what we do and what we contribute to our clients and our teams, we would start to value our finances more because one is not separate to the other. It's really, it's really like it changes what we've been talking about for years now is like charge your worth. It's kind of changed that definition of worth, yeah. right? Like charge your worth also means like charge yourself, right? Like charge yourself so we have a savings account, charge yourself so we can keep moving forward, you know? So, I mean, I, I mean that, was, that was kind of, you know, <laughs> the takeaway from me, like, you know, what is, what is that worth? Tabitha, there's, there's a couple apps out there and, and I, I can't remember off the top of my head what they are, but there are apps out there that kind of track um, your automatic spendings. So, I mean, if it, I'm going to go download one right now, actually, but you know, I kind of want to see what my auto, what, what my automatic spendings are. Cause honestly, I'm sitting here, Tabitha, and I'm not sure if I even know where, where all those automatic are. And I don't think that I'm, I don't think that I'm any different than anybody, but you know, just but to most get of, that under control. Most of us don't. And as I said, when I went through and started to cancel subscriptions and I removed my credit card from my phone, right? So I took the Apple pay away and I took it out of my computer. So I have to actually manually type in my credit card. Um, it made a really big difference because it kept the connection. I didn't want to do away with the convenience of online shopping, but I needed to get control of it. Again, it's the association that we need to start thinking about. What do I need right now? I use a diet analogy a lot, right? It, as complex as we are as humans, we're really simple. Our brain gives us what we tell it we need, right? It will find any point to give us what we say we need. So if we say, I'm on a diet, right? I'm, I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to lose this COVID-15 that everyone's talking about. Mine's more like 20, but okay, <laughs> right? I want to lose this COVID-15 um, I'm not going to eat pizza. Oh my God, pizza. Oh, I'm dying for pizza. I love pizza. It'd be so easy to get pizza tonight. I love pizza. No, I'm giving up pizza, but I love pizza. You're telling your brain through all of this conversation, how much you love pizza, your brain will win and wear your resistance down and your willpower down right? What happens? You order the pizza, you eat the pizza, you beat yourself up because you want to lose weight. You feel like crap. You just ate pizza. And oh my God, I broke my promise to myself. I'm going to lose weight. Rinse and repeat the next day. Same thing with money, right? You need to be able to say, I want this vacation. I'm going to save for this vacation. I'm going to pay cash for things and have the connection. I'm going to put $5 a day of my tips in a jar and not touch it until the end of the year. And that's my motivation. And every time 
I feel weak, I'm going to say, no, I want the vacation. I really, I choose not to spend the money today because I want to take the vacation. We need to change our mindset and implement the simple rules of checking our debt, putting five bucks a day away. Heck, I don't care if it's a dollar. Put a dollar away and watch it grow in a month and you've got a nice little wad of cash. Part of it is getting us to the point where, and, and Tabitha brought this up the other day with, with the three of us, and, and you know, we talk about all this emotion stuff. There's something called dopamine that is an internal drug in our brain that brings us joy, sometimes for the wrong reasons. People who struggle with drugs or alcohol, dopamine is kicking in when they're, when they're abusing those things, and that makes it feel okay in the moment. Dopamine happens when we spend money on things. It just makes us really happy, which makes it that much harder to prioritize spending. So there's a lot of stuff involved in this and, and it goes beyond just emotions. It goes even to our brain chemistry. And when you think about that, I think I want to kind of lead this over to Michael, you know, because so much of this is about kind of having a level set with yourself and, and knowing where you really truly are and accepting where you are as step one. And I, get, I know Michael has thoughts. I don't want to take over the host responsibilities, but I want to prod Michael on that important topic. Well, yeah, we, I mean, we, you know, I've been in rehab forever and they, you know, whether we're talking about financial rehab or whatever the other rehabs are, and it's about awareness, acceptance, and action. And Tabitha's been talking about what do we do to heighten our awareness around money and, and how we've been spending it. First thing we become aware of is how unaware we've been. But then the acceptance is, what, uh, I'm, I'm, acceptance is I'm not going to judge what I'm aware of. I'm not going to beat myself up. I, I'm not going to blame somebody else. I, it's a awareness without judgment. But then the, the big part of acceptance is I'm going to, now that I'm awake, I'm going to accept the responsibility to do something about what I'm aware of. And I'm going to, I'm going to lay down all the storytelling. I'm going to lay down the explanations. And I'm really going to become interested in what it is I need to know what it is I need to do with what I know so that over time my life gets better for it. And that's where the action part comes in. Oh, and one more thing. I don't have to like what I accept. (laughs) A lot of people, I don't like that. Well, you don't have to. Liking something isn't a prerequisite to accepting it. It's it's easier for, you know, because, you know, as we got older, uh, we, we know what we needed to change. But when you're young and especially with social media, you see everybody else enjoying life when you're young and and to overcome saying, you know what? uh, I don't want that. I'm going to go ahead and save my pennies and, 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 you know what I mean? And put myself uh, to create this discipline. It's hard for someone who's young because they, with social media, I mean, it's a big world and it looks like a whole lot of fun. I have a lot of poor, older hairdresser friends when you really dig into the weeds of, of their lives and what this industry and we all get really real. So it's just not, it's just not an age thing. I mean, it's, it's a thing for all of us and, and understanding that there's skills involved and knowledge involved, all the stuff Tabitha talked about. We're really good at doing hair. You have to have skills. You have to, managing money is a skill and, and, and it takes information and education and, and a big why. It should be definitely, this should be taught in our, in our grade schools. It should be. Uh, It it really should be. But I, can I go to that 
I would like people to ponder, right? So the question that I want everyone to kind of ask themselves, when I coach people, business owners or individuals will say to me, my goal is to make a hundred grand a year, right? That's a, that's a great goal. That's amazing. My question is always why? Mm-hmm. Most of the time when we dig, it's just a number that sounds good, right? It sounds like I've made a lot of money. So that's the number they pick. If you're making 30 grand a year, a hundred sounds amazing, right? So they pick this number that feels big for them. But when I actually say, why, why do you want to make that money? How will your life change? How will it improve? And every time someone says, oh, well, I can afford to, you know, spend more or buy, no, how will your life improve? How will your four walls improve? How will the quality of your life improve? Because all you're telling me right now is how you're going to spend it not how your life is going to improve, right? That's what wealth building is. It's, we shouldn't focus on building wealth because we want to buy more stuff or spend more money. We should focus on building wealth because we want our time, right? Because when you have money, you, you can afford more time. You can't buy time, but you can afford to hire people to help you. You can get a cleaner to clean your house so you're not doing it. You can Mm. get a nanny to take care of your kids so you get a day off. You can afford an extra person in the salon so that you can lighten up your load, right? So don't focus on trying to buy more stuff with wealth. Focus on how it gives you your time. And I call it sovereignty because it's your independence back. Good. It, a lot of people use that to, if you wanted to retire early, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's retire at all. Right. That, that's true. All right. So, so as, I guess as this starting to wind down a little bit, I mean, uh, what are your guys' last thoughts of, of, of the, yeah, yeah, the techniques to, to keep it going or learning and keeping it going or just how to do it? So I'll jump in for, first of all, get clear, right? Get the clarity. Look at, as I said before, look at how much it costs you per month to take care of your four walls, right? Look at what you're paying out in debt or how much debt you have, even if that's uncomfortable. Get really clear. You can't solve the problem if you don't know what the problem is. You can't. So, Sit down, look at your finances, as uncomfortable and icky as it feels, get an idea for your debt and how much your life costs you every month to sustain it at the level it is now. Look at the subscriptions you have that you're spending money on that you don't need. Look at where you can tighten up, whether it's getting rid of a subscription to Amazon, right, or cutting out a magazine or you'll be amazed at where you're spending money that you're not even aware of. I love cash, right, because you get the connection. Sit down the old school way. I grew up with this. Put it in an envelope. Rent goes in an envelope, right? Utilities go in an envelope. Food goes in an envelope. And you know that you're spending 
a hundred bucks a week at the grocery store and that's it. So you're not buying the fancy schmancy cookies because you can't afford them and you don't need them. You may want them, but you don't need them, right? Start to rein yourself in, in that way. And then put money aside, whether I don't care if it's in a jar under your mattress in the freezer or you set up a separate savings account that you're going to commit to every day. I'm going to put in $5 minimum and just don't touch it. I also have a rule. Don't touch your money for 90 days. Hmm. Put it in a savings fund. Don't touch it for 90 days. And then after 90 days, if you want a treat, little treat, mm-hmm. right? But it doesn't all go. Only 10% of it goes. The rest stays there and you do the same for another 90 days. I love that. My take is, um, as I'm listening, for me, the technique on, you know, where do you get set? Like, what do you do with the money? Out of everything, that's the easiest part. To me, it's, 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 I need to make a pivot from, it, it's got to be more than making a, a higher income. I really want to set an intention that over time, I'd like to have more, whatever you want to call it, security and wealth for myself. And, and first of all, I needed to believe I could do that. You know, as I'm listening, that you know, the story forever ago was when somebody said to me, 20% of the people have 80% of the money and 80% have 20. I could see I was in the 80. And the first question I asked is, do you think I can learn to be part of the 20? Because I didn't think it was possible. And, and it, the answer to that question was yes. And the answers to that, it can be found in a sixth in space in between one's ears. And that is, People that have it think differently. And when I say have it, it's just not money. It's wealth and security. Over the years, I found out that 20% of the people that have money, you can tell by looking that they have it. The other other 80%, you can't tell by looking. You know, the millionaire next door, chances are there's, if you live in a common neighborhood in which I do, somebody on that block has a whole lot of wealth, but you can't, you can't tell by looking at a car or what they wear or where they go to eat or their house because it's a very discreet thing. But I have to be part of a community that lives that way. We become like those that we hang out with most. So, you know, find people and have these. These are different conversations than, uh, as Tony was saying, the conversations on social. And be be discreet about it. We don't need to tell other people that we, we have an intention to do this. And I've learned by experience, it better that you don't. Because as people begin to, you know, notice that you're, you're building wealth, they'll ask you for money. Borrow me some money. And my answer is, I love you too much to borrow your money. I'll give you 100, but I'm not going to loan you 5,000. Because, you, we, you know, we, we all know that that's a rabbit hole. So, you know, I could, don't get me started, you guys. You get me ranting about it, but it's, 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 it's profoundly sacred. Mm, love that. Gordon? So I'll take you off my list. Yeah, yeah don't, don't call Michael so much. I will add that I've been doing versions of what I, I, I do for over 40 years. Oh, and by the way, Michael, Tabitha, 
And I, I did the math in the shower this morning. We've got over a hundred years between the three of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a century plus. But but again, I've been doing this a long time and, and we lose so many people every year from this industry. And there's always conversations about how we bring more people into the industry to fill those chairs. We don't spend enough time talking about why did people leave? I truly believe that the majority of people leave this industry due to financial problems. They're not making the money that they need to make to live the lives that they have to live for their children, for their families. So this has been a forever problem. And this tsunami again has hit us and, and brought it to the front. And I think the most important thing I can say is, First off, it's not hard, as hard as it looks. I, I think of like precision haircutting and fading and balayage. And I've met so many young hairdressers who are like, oh, that's hard. But they go take a great class from a great educator or coach and it changes their mindset. And so I think it's so important we get the right mindset. And if you listen to the, the financial gurus outside the industry, they say, you know, have some emergency savings in the near term, start reducing your debt, focus on those two things, and then eventually start to build your long-term savings. That's the simple formula. Um, we need to have a different mindset going forward. We have to, I think as an industry say, we didn't get through this thing so, so well. We're expecting uh, the researchers say we could lose as much as 30% of the entire industry by the time we come out of COVID. Um, that's not acceptable going forward for any of us. You know, we love the people who are in our industry, even those we don't know. And so it's, it's not okay to have not have savings. It's not okay to live beyond our means. And we have to start, planning in a, a different and new way so that people can succeed in something that they truly, truly love. Love it. Well, I, I mean, moving forward, um, I challenge you three, like, you know, let's not have this conversation one time and move, move away from it. I mean, moving forward, let's continue to have this conversation and, and, and whether it's, whether it's you three or, you know, whoever else jumps on, on, on the, uh, on the financial bandwagon, which we'd love to see, you know, I mean, you know, how do we, how do we prioritize or, or we need to get our creative heads together and how we prioritize that, that, that future finance is just as important as a good balayage. Future finance is just as important a, a, as a really stellar fade. I wonder if we can, uh, I mean, Gordon, you have uh, a connection with schools and stuff like that. I mean, we should be, this should be part of a hair school curriculum. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it absolutely should be, you know, I mean, it should be, you said it before, it should be part of our elementary school, our secondary school, you know, it's the missing piece of education in American life, that no matter what job you have, allows you to think about money in a way that you can get the most from it, you know, instead of getting the dopamine by going to the dog track or whatever, <laughs> whatever your vice is. Yeah, they have a term for it now, financial literacy. Mm-hmm. Right. That uh, and it's, you know, when I think of literacy, I think about the ability to read and comprehend. But it's financial literacy is the ability to just understand money and how it implicates us and whether we're making it, spending it, growing it. You know, it's it's it, but it's really important. Yeah, I think it's wellness. Right. Financial wellness, wellness. falls in the bucket for me because I think um I have a philosophy I live by how you do one thing is how you do everything. And my mentor, um, one of my mentors taught me that and it's true. So because how you do one thing is how you do everything. If your finances are off, other things in your life are not balanced and you're not truly well because everything can't feed itself. And I would say, and I've said this before to Michael and Gordon, you know, this is a career and it can be a really great career 
but you get paid for a career when you're doing it and not being paid and not living. I don't mean living above your means. I mean, living within your means and being able to afford to live. It's a hobby. And I personally am sick of hairdressers um, because it, every time someone says it to me, it guts me when they say they don't even take a paycheck. They're going to work every day and working behind their chair and, you know, running their suite or running their salon, but they're not paying themselves. And we need to start having these financial conversations to make sure that it isn't a hobby. It is celebrated for the craft and the skill and the profession that it is and getting our finances in control so that we can live the lives we all deserve to live and we all need to live, whatever that looks like for each of us. And to continue to live, right? Like, you know, by, by, by being able to have enough financial security to continue that life after, you know, you're not working behind the chair. Mm-hmm. Guys, uh, super, super, super important conversation, particularly now. I mean, it's always an important conversation, but particularly an important conversation now. And once again, I challenge you, uh, I challenge our industry, you know, let's continue with this conversation. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, like just, you know, instead of one foot in front of the other, like mentality, as far as like trying to lose weight, it's $1, you know, in front of the, uh, another to, for financial wealth. And uh, so let's uh, together, uh, let's, you know, make it happen for, you know, it's really helping and spread the love and the news. And, uh, you know, you three guys are, are killing it and we, we appreciate you guys so much. We love you guys. And thank you for caring about this industry the way you guys do. Absolutely. So this Tabitha, Michael and Gordon, thank you guys very, very much for joining us on your Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find, actually you can, you can find their music on, um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease.